It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, this week, 30 Seconds to Mars has just released their brand new album. It's the end of the world, but it's a beautiful day. And uh, I'm here for it. This we, is, we like it. This <laughs> is like the sound that you always look for with some of these bands that, that a lot of people don't seem to deliver and this is sort of like perfect like it has enough of a bunch of stuff to just be really really interesting what they've done really really well is they're occupying I would say a pop rock space more than a rock or emo space like I think 30 Seconds to Mars when they started they were more of an emo band they've definitely transitioned into a pop slash pop rock space but it's a space where people don't dare do it. Like one of the best albums I can think of is Evolved by Imagine Dragons, where they just did the thing, like the stadium pop rock thing. And everybody's like, yeah, it's a bit cliche. But then you look and you go, well, why the hell did it sell like hotcakes? And why is it everywhere? That's, you know, I would say that's Imagine Dragons' biggest album. Yeah, 100%. And this is occupying a similar thing where they've just looked and gone, let's just do a pop rock winning album with a load. It's got crazy production. It's got elements of like electronic and EDM trap sort of stuff going on too. But because the heart of it is these songs that would, to be honest, work in any genre, they can sort of move around and make something that sounds really new and fresh. And I think I was saying when when we first listened to this to Mark that because everybody's gone a really, really obvious rock approach, as in let's just smash like pop punk guitars and yeah, pop let's punk just drums on everything. Let's just do some some toms, snares, and then like like say power chords, smashing yeah, power chords. Because in. everybody at the moment in 2023 is doing that. This album comes out, it sounds like they've sort of done this album mostly like in 2020 or 21 or earlier. It sounds like it should have came out a while ago. But because of that, instead of it coming out and sounding the same as everything else at that time, it's come out and it sounds super fresh because everybody's doing this guitar thing again. So it really stands out to me anyway. Also, like the guitars, say, for example, on Get Up Kid, um, they're more shoegazy, would you say, Peter? Like shoegazy sort of style, like with the the, the effects and delays and echoes. Yes, you know? they're they're not they're not delivering the exact same expectation that you would hear. But they to say that there's no guitars on this album would be a complete lie. Like it is full of guitars, but the guitars are used in a very creative manner. They're more like the backdrop and the atmosphere, like the ethereal sort of part of the songs they're sort of like embedded in with like all the pad synths and stuff on some of the tracks um and yeah just more creative and a slightly different sort of approach with the guitars to just like say playing power chords and playing it extremely safe the guitars are there to sort of serve the song but not in like a structural way more of in like a icing on the cake well, way i think it's it's one of those where you can use instruments and productions in the obvious way which is of you know like with guitars you go well i'll just smash power chords to all the root chords and with bass you can just play all you you can just do eighth notes for all the chords and you will put the part down and get it done but maybe it's not the most creative thing you could do so like 
what I feel with this album is instead of doing that, they haven't really done that much at all. They've sort of gone, well, if we're going to put a guitar on it, how can we make it add something? How can we make everything have its own place instead of just filling the space with, with stuff? And I think, I think that's why it comes across quite... It's quite a weightless-sounding album. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine it in... Because I think they're announcing the tour as well. You can imagine it in big venues, travelling really well as well. It's just really, really refreshing. Obviously, one of the songs as well, um, that's one of our favourites. I mean, all the singles that come out were pretty decent. But Wild on Fire was one where they just really hit the nail on the head for that pop pop rock production and it's it's like a a slower mid-tempo thing but it's got that big chorus and it's just got some really cool synths going on like you know the guitars coming out the end to to add add that sort of feel but the the actual like arrangement the way that all the synths build the arrangement together and the chords they use you know they're using really really simple chords but they're doing really, really weird and interesting stuff with it in terms of a pop rock band. Like it, it definitely sounds more electronic in places, but it still it still comes back round to be a rock song. And it's sort of what we were saying like one of the other weeks. And the production on World on Fire is just it's 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 the duality of it hitting really hard when the one drop comes in on the chorus. But also, all of the instruments, none of them are taking up too much space in the mix. None of them are really, like, you know, hammering your ears. There's sort of like a full bed of instruments working together to give you those that simple chord pattern instead of it just being one big sort of fat synth or whatever or, or ear guitar line. It's like lots of sort of just elements all working together to to give you that sort of bouncing sort of chord progression that and I think the icing on the cake is the the keyboard ostinato-y part that's just on the top line sort of and it, it sort of like hits the top note on each snare but it, it's like it really is one of those things where when you pick like a, a really cool basic chord progression but you find a complex but satisfying ostinato to go over the top add vocals and drums and you, you got it you got it in my opinion <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, and it just, it also, I suppose this goes into like where all the songs are so short, you end up listening to them three times over listening to them once. Yeah, like leave them listen, wanting more. You can listen to a two minute song three times in the space of time, you can listen to a six minute song, and that's sort of what you end up doing because the songs are very catchy, but then they end so fast, and then you go, I want to listen to that again, and you end up listening to like just the album twice instead of just listening to a 60 minute album once and that that then you remember the songs so much more because you're listening to them over and over and over again whereas obviously with long like say concept albums you end up going well i'm not listening to that song for seven minutes again i've just listened to it whereas this is yeah. just it's so snappy that you just want to keep listening to it and you know the, there's a real nice mix of song types on this um, yes, you've got it's really not... mellow songs like Seasons, but then Life is Beautiful is really like brooding and sort of does what uh, 30 Seconds to Mars was doing with Hail to the Victor and stuff on America. It does very much seem like a continuation of America in a certain sense. And um, I think it, I thought that the last song on the album, Avalanche, was like a 
very 30 seconds to Mars thing to do as well. So I think if you're an old fan, like one of the OGs for 30 seconds to Mars, Avalanche would probably be the best song for you to listen to on the album. But as you say, like seasons and life is beautiful and get up kid. Definitely. I think stuck, stuck. I'm less partial to because it's just been played so much. I still really like it. I think it's a good song, but it's, that's the one that was out first. So that's the one you're most accustomed to. But, um, They've just got, they've gone for something that's, you know, it, it would be very easy to sit back and listen to it and say, oh, well, that's like very safe. But like, like we say sometimes, nobody does the thing that's safe and the thing that works. And it's not safe because if it was safe, everybody would do it. But everybody always goes real edgy because I feel like that is somehow safer than just doing a good, well-written, like stadium pop rock album. I think the problem is, is that, certain cliches and certain genres are frowned upon more particularly critically like obviously any anybody who does like catchy songs that have that double barrel chorus sing along you know for the for the crowds at the venues critics like ah oh, well that's safe isn't it you know like that's that's the sort of comments that have all have got people said walking the wire was was safe critically obviously fans love it and the charts loved it because fans bought it but critically people say well it's safe they're just doing like 80s rock sing-along choruses and that's the reason why people try and do these really edgy really atonal singles to say well we're doing something interesting and that's why you you see a lot of bands they don't want to just do like a oh let's do one five six four in the key of this and then just uh write a catchy top line on it because obviously everybody points at them and goes boring you know particularly critically um and they want people to say this is interesting but like i say a lot of people don't do it but then when you hear it done well and they sort of add a lot of interesting layers of production instead of just say playing it on acoustic guitar like you could have played most of these songs on three or four chords and it would have been there, great and it would have worked but they're far more interesting particularly if you're like production minded like say we are when you hear all this stuff going on and it's just mixed to perfection and there's so much interesting like ear candy just to sit and listen to you hear different things every time you listen to the songs and that's what's really nice about it yeah and they've had a lot of um from what i've seen information is quite scarce it says nothing in the book for the cd um but from what i've seen on the spotify credits and that's been reflected on wikipedia they've got some uh very well-known co-writers and collaborators so i believe uh world on fire has a lot of ed sheeran in it like songwriting wise and i believe the acoustic guitar but that's just that's just gut instinct which which makes a lot of sense because world on fire when you listen to it you can sort of hear ed sheeran in it and ed sheeran does a lot of this where he writes for for people or writes with people uh which is just a really interesting thing because that it's not a pairing i would have expected yeah, and the thing is, is like when you, I think it's always difficult because when you read that somebody's like been involved in a song and then you go, well, let me imagine, say, like Ed Sheeran singing Wild on Fire, you can sort of hear it because it's something that he would do. Yeah. But obviously what Ed Sheeran wouldn't do is a lot of the production that you have. Yes, it obviously, tends to be more minimal anyway, even when he does do the production on his songs. The vocal melody, you can very much imagine Ed Sheeran doing but um, the way they've approached the full mix is is just not what he would typically do. Obviously, he has some very interesting production in some of his solo music as well. 
and like on the collaborations project, but yes. uh, like like that's not what you're stereotypically known for. You yes. think acoustic guitar. But I'd say even on the collaborations one, when I think of songs like Beautiful People, it's it's even if the production's there, it does tend to be more minimal because I feel like Ed operates in that minimalism thing, because he's, he's had to, and he has done his full career. So it, I don't feel like, I, I mean, send me them if, they're, if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like Ed has like massive Bohemian Rhapsody-esque like productions, because it is, it even when he has like electronic elements going on, it, it is more minimal. But it, like we say though, it's a really good and interesting pairing with 30, 30 Seconds to Mars. And... Um, Life is Beautiful is co-written as well by Imagine Dragons Dan Reynolds, which makes a lot of sense when I when I read that, because Life is Beautiful is is very much. I mean, I thought it sounded like Shinedown when I first listened to yeah, it. Yeah, I would agree with that. But it does also have like that Imagine Dragons y, but definitely production wise because of the impacts and the swells and like the the the, the drums the drums yes. hit very hard and it's very percussive and that's obviously what imagine dragons is very good at delivering is that percussive backbone that's you know almost tribal in a way but yeah. it, it just it hits hard and there's a lot of like percussive drums combined with very sub bass that that really carries the song and then all that sort of like you say hey, candy on the top but it's it's that it's that backbone that gives it that that sort of Imagine Dragons feel. And it's a very quick vocal on both the songs, to be honest. The, yeah. the, the chorus or the verse between the songs are very quick and comes at you quite fast lyrically. But there's a lot of also like octave down and vocal processing on Life is Beautiful. That That is really interesting. But that is also, again, sort of the, the thing that you would expect Imagine Dragons to do. And I definitely, the 30 Seconds to Mars from like America... And um, I'll let me get this in the right order. Life, Love, Faith, Dreams. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, you can always fact check it if you want. But yeah, they've been sort of slowly heading in this direction. And like I say, um, America seemed like a really big departure from Love, Lust, Faith, Plus, Dreams. I think I got that slightly wrong. To say, did I say Life, Love, Faith, yeah, Dreams? Did. It's Love, Lust, Faith, Dreams. Yeah, yeah, I haven't looked at it written down in a while. <laughs> well, you just think of the polka dots, don't yeah, you? Yeah, the yeah. album cover. Uh, but yeah, they've sort of slowly been going in this direction. But yeah, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint. Obviously, because there's such a gap between the albums, they can, they can change quite quickly in style. But um, the, this is very much a continuation of America. And I didn't know whether there was going to do like a 180 and completely go a different direction. And Stuck sort of made you think, oh, well, they could do anything. It could all be like... Stuck is very stripes, neutral. You know, yeah. baseline forward. You know, you, you, you couldn't really tell what they was going to do. And obviously, since since they've lost Tomo, who was playing all the guitars live and stuff, when you hear Stuck, you think, well, maybe they could do more of a minimal thing. That's mainly just bass drums and vocals maybe they would play that live but obviously when they've gone out they've not played Jared Letter's not played like a guitar or bass live specifically He's no, they, have the, they have the guy who does everything but obviously <laughs> when you listen to the rest of the songs you hear that oh they're sticking with that sort of America style sound which is very modern it's a subtle evolution of it because I think America is very very to the bones like it's more I mean there's a lot of EDM on there as well, but I do I always think of like some of the trap trap production on some of the songs like One Track Mind and stuff. Yeah. But um 
again, what what I really liked about America, even though that's I'd listened to bits. I completely missed Thirty Seconds to Mars, and then listened to bits on Love, Lust, Faith, Dreams. I really liked Up in the Air. And then when America came out, I listened to that and was like, this is really, really weird. Like, it's, in a, it's in a good way. interesting, yeah. It's not what you would expect them to do. And they had things like On One Track Mind. It's like basically a trap song. But then they put this ripping guitar solo in. I say ripping. It's not like a shreddy guitar solo, but it's just, it's the sort of solo that definitely at the time as well i was like why isn't this in rock music like the, yeah, the, yeah. nobody does this but they're putting it in like a trap-esque song and i just found it so cool so that's what definitely got me more into 30 seconds to mars um but it's i think we uh, we are we gravitate towards the bands that are putting themselves in these unusual spaces like being a rock band but then not making traditional rock music can yield very, very interesting results. Yeah, because the thing is, is if they keep doing the debut album over and over and over again, it sounds samey. But if they change, the people who are fans of them on that debut album call them out for, you know, like selling out or whatever you want to say, uh, you know, changing direction, losing the roots, you know, lots of fan bases seem to accuse lots and lots of bands of doing this. So, yeah, you don't want to constantly make the same album over and over again. But then, as a band, if you evolve, particularly if you're in the, in the, in the limelight and, and you've got a lot of fans, people will accuse you of, like, you know, just changing. When or that, or that's, essentially binning off your original fan base. That's what a lot of people tend to do. When yeah, yeah, sort of shaking off the, the fan base who was there at the start and sort of pivoting to a different fan base altogether. Um, but what a lot of people who, a lot of diehard like debut album fans don't think of is that some people like more than one thing and that if the band changes, they can like it or change and with looking the band. At, looking at their fan base, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who don't like don't like or don't listen to this album because I think the thing is, as, as you say, Mark, if you got through Love, Lust, Faith, Dreams in America, you're going you're gonna to ride or die this album. Yeah, and also what you find with a lot of bands is that it's very gradual changes a lot yeah. of the time over five or six albums. It's not like a, a knee-jerk sort of like full genre switch or anything. Um, it's like a little sprinkling here and there and then before you know it, you compare like the seventh album to the first album, you go, wow, this is radically different because not only have the band got better at doing what they're doing, but production's changed. The landscape of music has changed over those 15 years to a point where they couldn't release The Kill now. And if they did, it would be it would be odd. They could maybe release it now, but they definitely couldn't have released it a Five couple years of years ago. ago. Yeah. That's the weird thing with it, because it's sort of come it's, back round again. But I would argue that like when 30 Seconds to Mars started, essentially that pop rock or pop thing, the thing that was really popular was what they were doing. Like that... Yeah. that all out guitars, um, emo. I, th- I want to say it's emo, but it's like similar similarities with pop punk and just that that early two thousands rock. Which I remember, I personally found it very. Being a fan of classic rock, it was very weird to listen to because it's like, well, everything's there, but it's so different, and it's hard to pinpoint 
how different the vocal style and the instrumentation and the overall energy of that early 2000s rock, particularly leaning towards emo and pop punk, obviously, is to like classic rock. Like Love, Lust, Faith and Dreams and those albums, they sort of got more songs like City of Angels and stuff, which pivot yes. into more of a U2 direction. Yeah. Um, in, in like that arena rock sort of feel. They're definitely And, and they sort of peeled back that that sort of emo delivery and made it more into an arena rock sort of thing, particularly on the singles. So this is why I talk about gradual changes, you know, mm. because it, it, it can be not even just necessarily the songs and the composition, but also the style of the band, what's popular fashion-wise, you know, and, and that all feeds into it with, with bands like at the, the top sort of popular level. Also, it's a bit like, as Def Leppard has said on their like many documentaries, when you start playing arenas and stadiums, it is often, you know, you can't just play, I mean, you can play like thrash metal in there, but it doesn't sound necessarily great acoustically. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of them do, when if they get like really big, they will pivot towards this more cliche stereo um, stadium sound because it literally does work in the venues they're playing. Yeah, because it gives... Like, say, use City of Angels as an example. The crowd can sing along with the words. There's weightless areas and, and dense areas so that people can anticipate parts of the song. It's not the same all the way through. And that's what works in these bigger venues. And it has space for the actual echo and reverberation of the room. And it actually, it suits the echo and reverberation of the room. You know, that's that's another part of it too. I think that's why the songs work so well sometimes when when they do and it's hard to break down exactly how that stadium sound works but the the overall basis of it is things aren't too fast and things aren't too melodically like nasty or like you, you're not using like loads and loads of atonal elements or or notes that easily clash because the idea is you've got this massive stadium decay. So if you're singing something that where all the notes are like semitone intervals, it's going to start to just sound like mush and very dissonant yeah, or as like it hits the room. That's the you, idea, I think. If you use fast tempos, it, you want things like, say, uh, well, ostinato sort of echoey guitars that, that sort of like, just carry hold yeah they hold in one place you you've got drums that may have fast high hat or tom patterns but the kick and snare don't blitz you because that's that's the thing that's really difficult and this is like where say you, you say you're doing blast beats it just turns to mush like if you're in a venue and you're doing constant double kick drums and the sub is slightly too long decay wise well it just starts to blend into one note as we've seen yeah. live when we've gone to see bands you know it you end up losing all the definition because it you're happens. not in a studio environment and then you can't hear it like when you're in the audience they could be doing it and you just can't hear it yeah, because of the speakers it means everything like like for the band they might mean really well and they might think wow they're going to be really impressed by this but sometimes you can do, like you say, a really complicated drum fill or, or when they do these ripping guitar solos and you're like, I just can't hear yeah, it. You, you can hear that they're doing something, but you can't intelligently sort of hear the notes yeah. themselves, like the individual notes. You just hear, and that's that's like all you hear. You just hear it like on the high, like on the 12th fret or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, because venues are not the kindest thing for sound. I think that's why people like being able to design a song in the studio and control the way everything decays and, and the presence of things. Because I think when you get into bigger venues, especially as an audience member, sometimes you're like, I know this song and I know I've been looking forward to it, but the way it hits the venue is like, wow, that's a little bit underwhelming or, or you have to actually fill in the gaps in your head. And it's not the band's fault. It's not the engineer's fault. I think it's literally just physics. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously to broadcast some of because mixes have got so tight yeah and sort of focused you could never recreate this live even when people bring in all the backing tracks and they have it all done and they're just filling like two parts of a studio record just the record being played out the PA it does so much damage to the fidelity it does of like a production it's hard to describe unless you just... I mean, listen, there's a reason why when, when you watch a film yeah. and they, they emulate a song coming out speakers or in a giant venue or something, you're like, if they're in like some sort of... They just take the top end off. They take the top end off and everything's just coated in reverb. And a lot of the time, <clears throat> all you can hear is just deafeningly loud kick and, and like sub bass. Yeah. And then everything else is like a washed out blare. Like, cause they're, they're doing it to the extreme when they do it on film, because they're trying to really make you feel like you're sat in the audience or in like the lobby waiting to see the, the gig or whoever it is. But there's a reason why it sounds like garbage. And that's because, you know, it is echoey and it is bassy in there because that's just, you know, that's how it is. Because the high end doesn't travel, I believe, yeah. isn't it? The high yeah. end will, they have to really gun the high end. And even if they do gun the high end, it's like when you're at a festival and you're really, really far back and all the top end is just dropping off because it literally can't reach yeah. you. And if you're at the front, it's too it's too tinny and too harsh. And yeah. then you end up like sort of wincing at like the speakers you stood next to. So it's, a, it's very difficult to get this like is, an ideal sound. This is where the age-old approach of standing at the sound booth when you're at a gig works. Yeah, or or you like? I'd be very very interested to see how well a silent disco gig would go if everybody had like studio headphones on or whatever or headphones of their choice, and you just connected it and listened to the PA think, feed in your headphones at the volume. Because a lot of the time it's the blown out volume as well, which it doesn't is. help. I think if you did that, but they also had like obviously like they normally do mics to catch the audience slightly. Yeah, that would bring the atmosphere back into your mix as well. Yeah, yeah. And then, God, that would be that would be really interesting I'd, to see. I'd be interested to see scale. the difference of the same band doing the same set, like as an experiment, typically through the PA, and then with everybody wearing headphones and a silent disco form factor. See, the thing is, they wouldn't need to worry about a care for you, but the problem is, is that even if the band were technically silent to neighbours of the venue, the crowd just having that many people there just makes a noise anyway. It does, but I feel like if you ever, like, if you stand outside of a venue, no matter how loud the crowd is, I feel like you will hear the song over the crowd. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like with the spill, because yeah, yeah. they're literally, they're, they're putting the, the song out so loud to get past all that crowd and everything and it normally just shoots straight out the top you know like if it's yeah, like an yeah, open yeah. top arena yeah they just shoot straight out the top did it and um then everybody across the road can hear what's going on but i don't feel like the crowd travels that much but i think that would be interesting i think there would be slight slight try and think about how to articulate this atmospheric differences like if everybody had headphones on it might 
be a little bit less easy to connect with the audience. You might feel like if you're in the audience, you don't want to sing as loud if people have their headphones quieter than you because you'll just be like yeah. shouting at the back <laughs> of somebody's head and yeah. they're just listening to it legibly in front. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. A lot of people like to sing thinking that they can't be heard and, and if you sing loud enough, you will be heard by the nine people around you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fact. It's loud, but it's not that loud. They yeah. can't disguise you. If you're, absolute, if you're absolutely belting it, then yeah. you will be... Yeah. If somebody takes a video and you're belting it, they, you, they will be hearing you, not <laughs> the band sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's all of those reasons in... Um, in like the live setting is why you tend to see bands pivot towards more of a, like a, a stereotypical arena sort of sound, particularly when it comes to vocal melodies and the vocal melodies are the most important factor here because people have to sing along. Uh, but when I think about life is beautiful, I think, well, you know, it's going to be hard to sing along to that. And this is like the argument as well, where you've got, you've got like the pour some sugar on me, sing along, drums are slow and simple to work in an arena but then of course you've got to remember there's a lot of genres that don't cater to that at all that are still very popular that's still going in arenas most genres that include rapping i mean rapping by nature is fast even if ed june's doing it you're like it still works but what in is arena. rapping by nature mark dry well it is very dry I so suppose. so yeah. there's that trade i think yeah so because the rapping's so dry the only reverb I imagine there's no reverb on them and they just use the, the room reverb. That's what I would have thought. But yes, I, I do agree that it's not saying that you cannot play fast music in the venues, but I would say that if you have a couple of songs spread through your set that are tailor-made for stadiums, your audience will probably go home happier than if you just played wall-to-wall songs that had nothing to do with it, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, that's why you end up with such a variety. That's Like, Seasons is hitting that, like, acoustic-y sort of thing that you would expect them to do stripped down in the middle of the venue as opposed to on yes, the main stage. I could imagine that, yeah. You know... You say Shannon turns up with his little drum pad and then they, they have an acoustic guitar player and Jared Leto stood together. That's what, what that song is for, basically. That moment at a gig. And that's, that's the important thing with set lists is you've got to try and cover every, every element. And some, some of them are very good at it. Some of them, I don't want to say nobody's not good at it. I don't want to say anybody's not good at it because I think, I think every band knows what they're doing to a certain extent. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing biggish or even smallish venues well the thing is just to get to an, to a venue the size enough to have a second mini stage on the yeah. catwalk you need to be big enough to understand how live music works and how to interact with the audience i think a lot of bands develop that tool set whilst they're on the way up doing like small club shows and like yeah. academies and then as the work up to that then uh right we need to do this we need to do that i also think like they will have a lot of bands, if they're not confident, will have people say, right, well, I'm the production stage manager. You need to do this. You need to do, do that. that. We need to fit these things in. Otherwise, it won't be a fully-fledged, like, 2023 show. Because, obviously, a lot of this sort of stuff, you know, it's like a trend. And you see more and more bands doing it until the point where it's just a staple of a show is for them to have that mini stage for the acoustic three or four songs. And then they go back. And then it also, from an audience perspective gives you a break from it's the main relief, stage yeah but then it makes you excited for the encore when they go back for like the final five songs or whatever then it works really well yeah well that's been our thoughts on 30 seconds to mars's new album 
And that's also been our thoughts, I guess. We sort of pivoted into that live stadium sort yeah. of sound design approach and songwriting approach. So I've been Peter. And I've been Mark. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>